Welcome to another episode of the Alter Your Health Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. If this is your first time listening, hello and welcome. We value your time and energy and hope you receive a lot from tuning in. As a listener-supported show, we rely on you to help us grow. We'd be so grateful if you share the show or a favorite episode with a friend or fellow health seeker. Living a healthy and nourishing life doesn't always come easily, especially in today's crazy world. But that's why we're here, doing what we love, hopefully helping you along with information and inspiration that fuels your health pursuits. If you're looking for more support, consider subscribing to the monthly Meal Guide membership. Just $11 per month gets you access to a weekly meal guide filled with healing and delicious whole food plant-based recipes, along with invitations to our regularly scheduled support calls where we can connect, answer questions, and keep the good vibes flowing in our healthy lives. You can learn more at www.alter.health slash meal dash guides. And if you're looking for more in-depth support, check out our other services. We offer both one-on-one consulting as well as educational programs. All of our current offerings are listed at www.alter.health. Our ultimate goal is to empower you to heal yourself. Keeping with that theme, let's dive into today's show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the next episode in our plant-based life cycle nutrition series. That's always a mouthful to say for some reason, Um, but we're moving on to the next age group, and specifically today, we are talking about plant-based nutrition for ages 4 through 18, which I realize is a really big range. That's a lot of years right there, but Most of the plant-based nutrition principles are consistent throughout this age. Really, the only thing that varies is as the child grows bigger and bigger, they obviously need more and more nutrition, but all of the same principles apply. So we're going to lump together all of those age ranges here. Um, But yeah, I do just want to first say a little bit of a disclaimer that you know, yes, I have the education, um, you know, on the topic of plant-based nutrition for this age range, but I do not have the personal experience yet because my own daughter is only nine months right now. And so I'm going to be talking about ideally what our nutrition looks like for children in this age range. But I know that the application, uh, you know, of um, applying these principles in the kitchen at the dinner table might have its challenges. Um, I know I hear from older parents that um, sometimes it can be hard dealing with, you know, picky children or, you know, just kind of navigating all of the nuances that can come up um, around food in this age range. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. I was thinking it would be helpful in today's episode to uh, talk about what the specific nutritional needs are and also special considerations for plant-based children. Um, And then later on, talk about some of the strategies for how we can create a nice and peaceful, relaxed dining setting or eating setting, feeding setting for our children so that we can support, um, you know, their own uh, motivation and desire to enjoy these healthy foods at home too, right? Okay, so let's just dive right into it and talk about, you know, what's happening in these little bodies in this age range, because, um, well, I think it'd be helpful, we're, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, kind of different, different, it, it's easy to talk about kind of ages four to eight, then nine to 13. And then 14 to 18. These are kind of good, um, 
good kind of separations in this age range where we can talk about nutritional needs. Um, but in general, between the ages of four and 12, there is just so much growth going on. There's so much cognitive development going on. There can be, you know, episodes of growth spurts followed by not much growth. And you will find that when the child is in a growth spurt, they're obviously going to have a much higher appetite versus when they're not in a growth spurt. Um, but obviously, nutritional needs are higher um, in proportion to their weight. So as the kid gets bigger, they're going to need more nutrition. And on average, between the ages of four and eight, a moderate, a moderate, moderately active kid needs about 1400 to 1600 calories. When they hit the ages of nine to 13, they then will need more, um, typically on average 16 to 2200 calories. So, you know, these, these little bodies need a lot of fuel to keep growing and also um, to be thriving as well. Let's just talk a little bit about macronutrients. Um, it's generally recommended that carbohydrates make up 45 to 65% of calories and that fat makes up 25 to 35% of calories in the diet, the rest being made up by protein. And I do just want to point out here that when we're talking about kids' nutrition, generally it is recommended that they get more fat than um, you know our whole food plant-based adults do. I know that most of our listeners here are whole food plant-based eaters, and you're used to us talking about how this lifestyle is so great and so helpful for health and longevity and reversing disease because it's naturally low in fat. We talk about how ideally our fat intake is close to around you know 10 to 15 percent of calories from fat. Well, for children, they really need that fat for, you know, a good source of calories and also just the nutrition for their cognitive development for um, so much more. And so it is recommended that um, for kiddos, especially, you know, when they're quite a bit younger and they still have a small stomach, they're not able to um, eat as much of these kind of low fat or, you know, low calorie dense, high fiber foods they simply don't have the room in their stomach, that's when these higher fat foods, um, avocados, nuts, seeds, you know, um, nut butters, coconut, these foods can be so, so helpful. Um, and yes, aiming for that 25 to 30% of calories coming from fat is ideal. Although, you know, of course, um, if you're a nutrition geek like me, yeah, you might actually look into these macro ratios. But honestly, I my recommendation for parents feeding their children would be not so much to worry about all of these numbers. This is just, you know, for educational purposes, right? Not actually practically counting the nutrition that's going into our children each day. But let's just talk about protein a little bit. Protein needs um, increase. Well, so protein needs um, are easily met in general by all children, regardless of their diet, as long as they're eating enough, right? Um, generally, kids are getting plenty of protein. Um, and it's recommended that ages four to eight get at least 19 grams of protein. And then that increases to 34 grams of protein in the ages of nine to 13. Um, so yeah, our protein needs obviously increase as our body mass increases, but you can still see here 19 grams, 34 grams. This is very easily attainable from plant foods. We don't even need to go 
out of our way to source, you know, um, you know, lots of tempeh or kind of meat substitutes. Um, although we will talk about the benefit of having, um, you know, focusing on making sure that there is some source of a higher protein food in each meal as well. So let's see, what else do I want to talk about here in this age range? Let's just go over kind of the, the micronutrient uh, recommendations for this age range. And we see that um, calcium is still, it's still recommended to get 1,000 milligrams for four to eight-year-olds. And then that increases to 1,300 milligrams at age nine. And this is because there's just such rapid growth of our bones. And we need this calcium um, for that mineralization of that bone. And um, of course, bone health is not just dependent on calcium. We also need all the other minerals and vitamin D and so on and so forth. But calcium is an important mineral for our growing kiddos. And so this is why making sure that there is some kind of calcium rich food in the diet regularly is also very helpful and recommended for plant-based kids. Because once again, them having that smaller stomach, they might not be able to eat all the leafy greens they need to get you know, a thousand milligrams of calcium or, you know, leafy greens and beans, they might need a more concentrated source of calcium. And if you listen to our last week's episode, we talked about this is why bringing in some kind of, um, you know, calcium fortified soy milk or pea protein milk can be helpful just to have some convenient um, source of calcium in the diet. Or maybe you just want to opt for, you know, kind of a, a multivitamin that has a good source of calcium in it as well um, to cover those bases. But um, we, you know, definitely do want to make sure our kids are getting enough calcium. And I'll just speak from my own experience in conducting nutritional analyses for adults. I'd say most adults are not eating a thousand milligrams of calcium from plant foods if they are eating plant-based. Um, you know, hopefully they are getting at least like 700 milligrams. Um, but oftentimes if people aren't eating enough, then they're not going to be eating enough calcium um, from plant foods. And with kids, if they're, if they're also working with, you know, just a, a smaller stomach, not able to handle as much fiber as an adult stomach, then, you know, just an extra reason why bringing in some very, you know, a, a concentrated calcium source in their diet would be very, you know, helpful and recommended. And so, yeah, generally what's recommended is that calcium fortified plant milk or bringing in some, you know, calcium set tofu, for example. Um, these are kind of the, the food-based sources of calcium that are, you know, very rich in calcium, or like I said, bringing in a multivitamin can be helpful here. Um, also the other, you know, in addition to calcium, there are four other nutrients that it's, you know, very good to consider to, to kind of have more focus on for plant-based kids. I do want to say, you know, apart from these next four um, nutrients that I'm going to mention, the plant-based diet really covers all of the other nutrients in, in a very stellar and thorough way. Um, you know, when we're eating, whole, when the diet is comprised of mostly whole plant foods, then yes, we cover our other, you know, vitamin B or B vitamins, not vitamin B12. We're going to be talking about that in a, in a, in a bit, but vitamin A is covered. Vitamin C is covered. Vitamin E is covered if the kids are eating leafy greens. And then many of the other minerals are completely covered as well. Um, you know, iron, as long as they're getting plenty of beans and, um, you know, good dark 
kind of green vegetables and leafy greens. Um, but let's talk about these four other nutrients that generally, you know, we, we want to keep a closer eye on for plant-based kiddos um, and kids in general, right? Vitamin D, of course, we know that um, it's generally recommended now that regardless of diet that kids are supplementing with vitamin D just because, you know, there's, there's not there's no consistency in, um, you know, knowing how much vitamin D they're getting from going outside versus being inside and summer versus winter and skin tone and all these other variables. So the recommended vitamin D amount for this age range, four to eight, and also nine to 13 is uh, 600 IU. So that can easily be, you know, received through a supplement. Um, B12, B12, we still need to make sure that our, you know, plant-based kids are getting B12. And yes, this goes into adulthood as well. If we're eating a plant-based diet and we don't have a dietary source of B12, we need to supplement. So the dose for four to eight-year-olds is 1.2 micrograms. It's really not very much at all. And then for nine to 13, that goes up to 1.8 micrograms. Um, the next nutrient that we need to be, you know, just aware of is iodine, because mostly in, you know, the kind of American diet, the biggest source of iodine is seafood um, or iodized salt. And if the family doesn't eat seafood or use iodized salt in their cooking, they're going to need some other kind of dietary source of iodine. And usually what that looks like for whole food plant-based eaters um, is, you know, either seaweed or a supplement. And the benefit of the supplement over seaweed is that you get a more, um, you know, standard reliable dose. Um, and then, you know, the benefit of seaweed over the supplement is that you're getting it from a whole food source. But the downside of the seaweed as being the source of iodine is you just don't know how much you're getting. And when we're talking about our, you know, little kiddos, their little bodies and, um, you know, them being in this crucial phase of development, my personal opinion is that it's better to have, you know, a reliable uh, dosage where you know exactly how much iodine is going into your child's body versus, you know, with the seaweed, it's like there could be some days where they're getting way too much. There could be some days where they're getting none at all. And um, so from my opinion, getting a supplement, you know, uh, really, I think the best, most convenient way to go about making sure these nutrients are covered is just finding a good plant-based um, multivitamin for children. And you've probably heard us talk in other podcast episodes where we're talking about kind of adult health and, um, you know, healing from chronic illnesses with whole food plant-based nutrition, saying that, you know, you don't need multivitamins, they're not necessary. This is all true in the case of, you know, adults, as long as you're eating enough, as long as you're focusing on whole plant foods and you're eating enough, you know, we're a broken record when we're saying you need to make sure you're eating enough. Um, but... You know, it, it, it changes a little bit when we are talking about uh, pediatric nutrition and just knowing that, you know, <laughs> we might have this uh, ideal just idea of, you know, the plate that we're going to make for our kids and hopefully they eat this all and it's a perfectly balanced plate that I'm going to give my kid, right? It's one thing to know like, okay, what nutrition is needed in a balanced plate for um, for a child at this age, but it's another thing to see if they're actually going to eat that food themselves, right? So, you know, I think a lot of parents are up against several challenges, making sure that their kids are getting enough nutrition, um, you know, their, their kids' willingness to eat the food 
food being one of the big ones. And that's why at this age, you know, I am definitely one to say that I see the value of bringing in a multivitamin and I don't think it's going to cause the child any harm at all to bring in a multivitamin, even though, you know, in general, yes, we generally say that the nutrition from our food is really, it is the best because it has this, you know, synergistic effect in our body where we're able to assimilate and absorb it better and all of that groovy stuff. <laughs> I usually don't use the word groovy, so I don't know why that came out. But um, but yes, I see that in this context, a multivitamin certainly has its value, right? And the, the iodine um, recommended amount for kids four to eight is 90 micrograms, and then kids nine to 13, 120 micrograms, um, just for your reference. But the last nutrient that I want to talk about that it's very helpful to keep an eye on for plant-based kids and also non-plant-based kids, honestly, is DHA. And that is one of our omega-3 fatty acids. And um, there's just more and more research coming out showing that making sure that kids get adequate levels of DHA in their diet is so helpful for cognitive development. And so the recommended amount for ages four to six is about 150 to 200 micrograms. And then ages six to 10 is 200 to 250 milligrams. And then honestly, there's like no, I couldn't find from any of the organizations, World Health Organization or Academy of, um, you know, American Academy of Pediatrics. I couldn't find anything for after the age of 10. But, um, you know, considering that, um, you know, the, the recommendation for pregnant women is 200 to 300. I figured that for ages, you know, 9 to 13, somewhere around 200, 250, you know, cl close to that same amount for six to 10 um, is generally probably within the ballpark of uh, the recommended amount. So yeah, so this DHA, of course, as you've been learning about in our other previous episodes, um, you know, our, our plant-based source of that is algae, and not many of us are actually eating algae in our diet. So this is where an algae oil supplement is, is very helpful to bring in also. So let's just talk a little bit about how this nutrition um, shifts when we get into puberty, ages typically, you know, 14 to 18 or so. And um, I do just want to also point out that um, this age range, 14 to 18, has been shown to have the lowest healthy eating index score. What that means is that this age range is getting the most amount of refined grains, added sugars, sodium, saturated fat, and meat in their diet, and lower amounts of veggies, fruits, whole grains, and dairy. It's actually really interesting to look at the trend of the healthy eating index score. This is just kind of one method to kind of you know, measure how many healthy foods kids are eating throughout their life cycle. And interestingly enough, it's like, you know, our, our, our babies ages, you know, six months to 12 months who have the healthiest eating index score because they're mostly just getting whole foods, whole foods from their parents who are introducing solids. And then slowly, 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 as the kids get older, this healthy eating index score declines as they go into their teenage years. And of course, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I think of my teenage years and how 
I, I just wanted to go to the convenience store and buy chips and cookies and, you know, pop or soda, whatever. Um, you know, it's what all the kids are doing. <laughs> so it's um, it's kind of become this, you know, societal pattern for sure. And I imagine it's it's uh, going to be a hard one to break. But um, that's kind of the trend that we're working against as parents here. Right. But we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about this at the end of uh, this today's episode, just how we can relate to this, right? Um, but in puberty, this is when there is just like even more massive, massive growth. This is when lean body mass, skeletal muscle and body just and body mass in general increase more than any other time in our life cycle. So this is when we have the biggest growth spurts. And for example, females can grow three to four inches during their peak adolescent growth spurt. Three to four inches, that's crazy. And they gain an average of 14 to 18 pounds as well. So, um, you know, maybe you remember this in your own body, just the rapid growth that happens at this time. And for males, they on average grow 4.2 inches in this puberty phase and um, gain on average 20 pounds. So yes, lots of growth. And this is when, of course, our calorie needs are going to increase even more. Our nutrient needs are going to increase even more as we are kind of, you know, shifting into our adult bodies, right? Um, so on average, males that are moderately active need about 24 to 2,800 calories and moderately females need, you know, around 2,000 calories at least. And I say at least because this really does vary depending on the person's, um, you know, the female's um, size and also their activity level, right? Um, but also still, when we're talking about macronutrients, it's still recommended that lipid intake or fat intake is around 25 to 35% of overall calories. Um, and once again, this is because that rapid um, growth, but also our rapid cognitive development still in this phase of life. And so, um, yeah, having, having that good source of, um, you know, the calorie dense, but healthy, whole foods that are rich in fat are very healthy in this phase of life. Um, protein needs do increase. For females, they go up to 46 grams um, as a minimum. And protein for males on average, 52 grams. Um, so if we look at the micronutrients, they are pretty similar, you know, to the previous age range. Uh, calcium, we need 1300 milligrams. Vitamin B12, it goes up to 2.4 micrograms. Vitamin D, 600 IU, so that stays the same. Um, iodine stays the same as well. And then DHA um, or EPA, DHA is recommended 250. And then EPA also, um, if we're if we're taking into account the other omega-3 fatty acids as well, it's recommended that EPA, we get 150 micrograms. Um, sorry, that's milligrams, not micrograms. <laughs> so, yes, I mean, the, the general message is, you know, that we just, it, as, as the child is getting bigger, we need our, you know, we need just more nutrition in general. And then, you know, as we'll talk about, maybe in next week's episode, but also in all of the other episodes and Alter Your Health podcasts when we're talking about adult nutrition. Um, you, know, you know, things change and it depends on our goals, right? Um, of course, you know, in this phase of childhood development, 
the focus is on growth and development, right? Um, typically, when we're talking about nutrition for adults, we're talking about um, either, you know, nutrition for optimizing health or reversing disease or optimizing athletic performance and so on and so forth. So it really does kind of depend on the goals when we're talking about adult nutrition. But anyway, that's not the topic of today's podcast. Um, yeah, I think, you know, if we take a step back and talk about, okay, what does this look like in terms of what do I actually feed my kids? Um, you know, to really simplify it, if we understand what a whole food plant-based diet is, we know that it includes whole grains, it includes legumes, includes fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds. And with whole food plant-based eating, you know, it, it leaves out oils and added sugars and lots of added salt and so on and so forth. So it leaves out a lot of processed foods. And I've said this before, I've kind of alluded to this in previous podcast episodes, but um, you know, it's been shown that in this phase of you know, pediatric growth and development that bringing in some amount of convenient foods, some amount of more kind of um, more calorie dense foods, slightly processed foods, like for example, whole grain breads and um, more nut butters and maybe tortillas and things like this can actually be really, really helpful in making sure that kids are meeting their calorie needs. Um, as long as they're also getting a good amount of, you know, whole fruits and vegetables and other um, whole food sources that are high in protein, like beans or bringing in some tofu or some tempeh, for example. Um, as long as they're still getting a good amount of these whole plant foods in, it's completely fine and acceptable and, you know, and, and not going to have any detrimental effect for them to have some of these convenient kind of, um, you know, minimally processed and healthy foods. Of course, we want to try to make sure that, you know, we're not giving them foods with lots of added preservatives and um, artificial flavors and things like this, right? We want to make sure that it, it's as clean as possible. Um, but I do think it's helpful for parents to hear this, especially if they come from a strict whole food plant-based background, um, to know that, you know, yeah, that it can actually be beneficial and helpful for kids to have some amount of these uh, processed foods in their diet. Now, of course, we don't want the whole diet to revolve around those foods, but, um, but they certainly have their place, right? And so um, I find it really helpful. Plant-Based Juniors is a really great resource for, um, for plant-based pediatric uh, nutrition advice. And they actually have a very simplified way of kind of understanding how to create a balanced meal, balanced plate for your child. And they say to focus on three things. The first being starches. So some kind of ideally whole grain or maybe a whole grain bread or whole grain pasta, something like that bringing in um, a protein-rich food. So, you know, we think of our legumes, we think of, um, you know, we think of also, this is where it could be tofu or tempeh. And then also the third, th or also, you know, nuts, nut butter. Um, and then the third thing is obviously some either vegetables or fruit or both. And those are the three things, starches, protein, fruits, and veggies. Having those three um, on the plate for every meal is kind of a good way to just structure a balanced meal for a kid in this range. Um, 
Another principle that they suggest focusing on is to include a mix of whole foods. So, you know, yeah, whole plant foods, we know what, what those are. And also foods that are convenient and or accepted by the child. And so, you know, what this might look like is, for example, having like a taco night for the family and having, you know, the, the great whole foods of, you know, black beans and sweet potatoes chopped up and veggies chopped up. But, you know, we also have the tortillas and, um, you know, maybe also, you know, some store-bought guacamole or whatever the convenience food is that's both uh, convenient for you, but also accepted by the kid. Um, going back into that principle of just kind of, you know, not not being so restrictive about keeping all processed foods out of the child's diet, right? And we're going to talk about um, additional kind of psychological benefits of that in a moment here. Um, and then the third principle that plant-based juniors talks about is allowing your kid to decide if and how much they want to eat. And that's really, um, you know, honoring the child's own wisdom and um, the messages that their body's giving them in terms of their hunger, their satiety, you know, listening into their own appetite cues. And so, um, you know, this, this leads me to kind of the last thing I wanted to talk about in today's episode, which was kind of how we can support our children in um, learning how to self-regulate their food intake and learning how to have that, that you know, own personal and kind of uh, intuitive for back of a letter, back, blah, lack of a better word, um, relationship with food and hunger and satiety and, you know, how we relate to the whole kind of feeding relationship can really kind of impact our child's relationship with food. And so it's been studied. There's this very kind of fascinating research done by, uh, you know, scientists Re and all, all sorts of other Re et al. You know, we'll just kind of lump all those scientists together. Um, looking at the study that they've, they've titled Food-Related Parenting Styles Influence How Well Children May or May Not Eat, um, this looks at, you know, four specific parenting styles, uh, including authoritative, authoritarian, permissive, and neglectful. And it looks at how these four different parenting styles, when related to feeding and eating um, can impact the child's relationship with food. And it's been shown that ideally, you know, the authoritative, not authoritarian, but authoritative parenting approach has actually the most positive outcomes, um, supporting children and having healthy relationships with eating and, um, you know, less of a chance of developing kind of overeating or overindulgent kind of patterns with food or overly restrictive patterns with food. And so without, you know, I won't go into all these in depth because I know this episode's already quite long, but um, just kind of highlighting that the authoritative approach of parenting offers, you know, high level of expectation. So, you know, the parent has 
expectations for, you know, how the child is um, ideally going to behave for their specific age range and everything. Um, but they also, the parent also brings a high level of warmth, empathy, and involvement. And this is, you know, this is different than authoritarian, where the parent has high expectations, but low level of warmth. And just to kind of paint a picture of what authoritarian parenting looks like around food is more of the kind of clean your plate approach or, you know, one more bite, one more bite, one more bite, clean your plate. You can't leave the dinner table until you clean your plate. And, um, you know, kind of more kind of, you know, forceful kind of eating tactics, whereas authoritative still, you know, provides some boundaries and, and a lot of structure, but a lot of warmth as well. So for example, authoritative parenting um, involves the following components. Um, an authoritative parent is actively engaged during mealtime, so lots of eye contact and conversation, clear communication regarding expectations, response to hunger and satiety cues, creates a pleasant environment around mealtime and models healthy eating behaviors. And so some examples, you know, if the child is not wanting to eat their broccoli, for example, uh, kind of authoritarian approach would, would be like, sorry, you can't leave the table until you eat your broccoli. Whereas authoritative would say, um, like, okay, you don't have to eat your broccoli if you don't want to. But, um, you know, this is what's on the menu for dinner. We have potatoes and black bean patties and salad and broccoli. And so if you don't want your broccoli, you can have anything else on the table. But, you know, this is what we're having for dinner. So, um, you know, uh, you can eat within kind of what we have here. And so there is there's some boundaries, there's structure, you give some control back to the kid to allow them to choose what they want to eat on the table. But you're not also saying like, okay, well, then just go get whatever you want out of the fridge or the freezer, that would be more of a permissive or indulgent parenting style, where the parent is just catering to the kid, um, just, you know, wanting to make the kid happy all the time. And there's like, little guidelines regarding to food intake, um, you know, permissive parenting styles might also include using food as a form of comfort or control to reward their child's behavior. They really just let the child decide, decide when and, you know, where and what to eat. So there's really no kind of boundaries. And um, that can, that kind of parenting style can usually lead to the child eating a lot of food with salt and sugar and not as many healthy foods. Whereas authoritarian, where there is some structure and some boundaries, but also a high level of warmth, um, lead, tends to um, lead to the child developing healthier eating habits. And then, of course, there's the neglectful parenting type, which um, is really no structure um, with, you know, prepping meals or having any meal times, no, no guidelines around food intake, ignores the child's hunger and satiety. It's kind of like the kid is on their own, right? And so that's also not very helpful. That generally results in the kid um, being unable to recognize their hunger and satiety cues and um, just not being so connected with with that. And so, you know, there's so much more we could talk about all these different parenting styles and everything. But, um, you know, to me, it makes a whole lot of sense that it's like the parents, it's the parents' responsibility to create the structure around what, what the meal will be, when the meal will be presented. And it's up to the child to decide 
what they want to eat within that meal, right? And um, this goes back to, you know, this is, this is why kind of um, child-led weaning, baby-led weaning is becoming more and more of a popular thing because once again, it's the same kind of structure where the parent is providing food for the baby, but the baby is feeding themselves. The baby is tuning into their own um, hunger and satiety messages and, you know, deciding what feels good in their body and um, really creating that healthy relationship with food from the moment that food is introduced in their life. And I think that that's beautiful. It's beautiful because we're really honoring the wisdom of our bodies, of not only our bodies, but our, our child's bodies as well. Because even though they're young, they have the same wisdom in their bodies as well as we do. And so I think really kind of, um, you know, handing back a little bit of control over to them in this kind of authoritarian, authoritative parenting approach is really, really beautiful. Really, really beautiful. Um, Anyway, like I said, this is all lovely information, and uh, Ben and I will get to experience this in the next 18 years as Grace is growing up, and, um, you know, wish us luck. I wish you all luck as well in, um, you know, just creating that kind of relaxed and healthy and happy environment around mealtimes. I know one thing I wanted to also talk about in this podcast that I'm kind of, you know, running out of time. So I don't really have time to talk about is also just how we relate to foods that aren't included in the whole food plant-based diet, because I know it it can also, it's been shown, it can also be detrimental um, to kind of be too restrictive about the foods that our children are eating. And, um, you know, they can have kind of that rebound effect where, you know, if, for example, you don't have X amount of food in your own kitchen when they go over to their friend's house and they just want to, you know, they're obsessed with that food and they want to eat that food. And I'll just share, you know, I'm sure there's lots of different opinions out there on this, but I'm just going to share how I see how I'm going to approach these situations. And I think that, you know, there's there's definitely no benefit in being uber restrictive. I think my approach is going to be that in our household, you know, these are the healthy foods that we like to enjoy. And, um, you know, knowing that the majority of our children's diet is going to be made up of nourishing, nutritious foods, I'm going to be completely okay with my children having, you know, the occasional treat here, there, 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 whatever it is. Um, But certainly don't want to create any kind of weird, restrictive eating kind of pressure habits for our kids, because we know that that can then, you know, kind of snowball into other restricting, restrictive eating patterns and behaviors that, um, you know, we, we, we don't, don't want our kids to pick up on, right? So anyway, that's a big loaded topic in and of itself, but um, just wanted to mention that as well. And uh, thanks for listening. There's always so much I want to put in these episodes, um, but I think I got the, the key points at least. So thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next week for another episode. And until then, enjoy your week. All right, everyone. Bye for now.